Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that covers all of the most important stories of the week, especially those that the corporate mainstream is misportraying, suppressing, or even lying about. That's right. They do lie, folks. Uh, but we try not to here at False Flag Weekly News. I'm Kevin Barrett. I bring on the best people I can find to go over these uh, stories. It's pretty much the only news show you need. So today it's Dr. E. Michael Jones of Culture Wars Magazine. Hey, welcome, Mike. Good to have you. Thanks, Kevin. Good to be here. All right. Yeah, we got a great lineup this week. But before we go into the lineup, let's quickly do our PSAs and our obligatory warnings and all that fun stuff. Uh, we are a media criticism show here at False Flag Weekly News. And some people find media criticism to be very disturbing. So if you can't handle it, uh, change the channel. If you can handle it, please do support what we do. There are two ways you can really help us out. One is we do try to raise a bare minimum of $200 per show. And this week we're only at $60. So uh, if you can keep us ahead of the game so I don't have to beg at the very, very last minute, uh, each week, that's always helpful. And then if you can tell your friends and family and household pets or whoever might be interested in what we do here at False Fly Weekly News, that will help us beat the shadow banners who have made sure that we're delisted at Google. We're going to cover a Google delisting story later. And finally, you can, of course, email ffwn at noliesradio.org to get on our list and we'll tell you where we're broadcasting so they can't hide us from you completely no matter what they do. All right, so here we are. We're exposing the stooges of the corporate-controlled media, and we're talking about conspiracy theories. Oh, my goodness. Like, conspiracy theories like Jeffrey Epstein maybe didn't really commit suicide. Uh, duh. <laughs> you know, but the mainstream tells us, well, of course he did. And in the next slide, we see that CBS is covering up for ABC on this Epstein story. You know, CBS fired the employee he, who leaked the ABC hot mic video showing Amy Robach criticizing her own network for uh, backing off of the Epstein story because, of course, America and the world are run by powerful uh, pedophile billionaire criminals like Epstein. Uh, uh, but, Mike, that's all just a conspiracy theory, right? Yes. Yes. Next question. <laughs> Next question. Where, I, this, why are you asking me questions like this? Okay, okay. Uh, no more yes, no questions. Uh, uh, I, 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 saw that, I saw that video. It was very moving. The lady just uh, was shaking her head, wondering why the story got suppressed. Uh, the, the short answer to that question is that everybody who showed up at Epstein's mansion was photographed engaging in some type of sexual activity so they could all be blackmailed. So I guess the only conclusion we can draw is that the upper echelons of CBS were on camera there and don't want that to be exposed. And all, maybe not just the upper echelons of CBS, but also people who could make things hot for the upper echelons of CBS. Um, it, it seems like the higher up the power pyramid you go, the worse it gets. You know, the French have a saying, plus, plus qui monte, plus que savoir son cul. Uh, the higher he climbs, the more you see his, uh, his, his ass. Let's translate <laughs> correctly here for French. Pardon my French. <laughs> but but what, why is this? That the, most power, the more powerful they are, the more twisted, perverted, sick and twisted, the more blackmailed by people like Jeffrey Epstein. I think you've got the, the, the cart before the horse here. That you you have to uh, that you can only rise if you're compromisable. I think that this is the essence of a, a, a society like uh, Skull and Bones, and it also that goes back to the Illuminati. The real I hate to sound to say this, but there was a real Illuminati. It did exist in Bavaria in the 18th century, and it was based on the Jesuits. It was a perversion of the Jesuit uh, idea of examination of conscience. So your Jesuit superior would have you examine your conscience, what sins you committed, then you go to confession, you confess your sins, he absolves you from your sins and says, go and sin no more. Now, this was turned upside down so that now the Illuminati controller would find out what your vices are, and then he would promote your vices. He wouldn't tell you to stop doing it. He'd say, well, continue to do that, uh, because now we know that we can control you through the manipulation of your vices. Like, oh Oh, Illuminati father, I, I, I have sinned. Last night I was in Jeffrey Epstein's mansion. Hey, all right. Uh, <laughs> great. We'll, we'll promote you next year. This, this, the United States. This, this was actually put into practice in psychoanalysis. Uh, 
Uh, and uh, the classic story came out uh, about a man, uh, American doctor by the name of Horace Frink, uh, went to uh, Vienna to get certified as a psychiatrist. And to do that, you had to give uh, be psychoanalyzed by Sigmund Freud. So he laid down on the couch and uh, told Freud that, uh, among other things, that he was sleeping with one of his patients. Uh, now, that meant sleeping with a rich woman because the only, the only people who had psychiatry were rich people. So at this point, Freud did not say, uh, don't do that. That's a violation of professional ethics. No, what Sigmund Freud said was, uh, divorce your wife, marry this rich woman who is your patient, and then give a significant contribution to the psychoanalytic society. That's mm, that's, that's quite a talking here. Yeah. That, so this is uh, yeah. The, Freud's uh, friend uh, Fleece invited him to Berlin, and Sigmund Freud said, "I'd love to come, but I'm afraid my patients will get well in my absence." So th <laughs> this this gives you some indication of how that Illuminati principle got institutionalized in psychoanalysis and then, uh, you know, goes on and on and on here. Okay. Well, I guess we have to give a shout out to James O'Keefe and Project Veritas for leaking that video. Um, and let's move on to the next story. Speaking of so-called conspiracy theories that are true, uh, it's not just the Epstein suicide. There are a long list of them that are pretty obviously true. One of them is that the official story of 9-11 is complete BS, but you're not allowed to say that in public, at least not if you are running for high office in the United States or in the United Kingdom. Uh, Boris Johnson has somebody trying to unseat him, a fellow named Ali Milani, who once tweeted that 9-11 was a false flag, uh, who said the U.S. knew about the 9-11 attacks before they happened. And, you know, I, I agree that he should be drummed out of politics because anybody who says it was just the foreknowledge, a, a you know, lie hop, they knew about it before it happened, is either a coward or a moron. Obviously, top U.S. government officials in the Bush administration and the Pentagon, among other places, actually helped the Israelis orchestrate the 9-11 attacks. And if you're not saying that, you should be drummed out of politics. What do you think, Mike? Well, you've really uh, taken an extreme stand on that, Kevin. <laughs> okay. I, 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 this, this may have a, a bad effect on your career if you keep talking this way. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. They might not promote me here at False Flag Weekly News. Wait a minute. Yeah. I already have been promoted. I'm the boss. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think what uh, we're, we're saying, the flip side of this, what you're saying here is hate speech. I think that, that what you're seeing here is that you, you, they, we, they have staked out an official narrative here. The official narrative is unraveling. There's no way that they can put uh, Humpty Dumpty back together again. And so they're, they're taking a different tack and they're basically going to try and ban any type of discussion that they don't like. And they'll call it hate speech. And if, if that's the case, then uh, we don't have to discuss it. We don't have to defend it. We'll just ban the discussion. This is going on in Ireland right now. There's a, a Charlie Flanagan, a government official, is trying to ban hate speech uh, because hate speech in Ireland means that the, the Irish people are upset about unlimited weaponized uh, immigration. They're upset about the destruction of their culture. And rather than dealing with the constituents <laughs> that these politicians have, they're just going to ban their speech. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing here. And, and this whole business of hate speech, you know, supposedly targeting minorities, uh, you know, being unfair to oppressed minorities, this is the ideology behind so much of the suppression of free speech. And yet, if we actually do a, a rational analysis of what's going on, let's look at this story. A guy named Ali, who's obviously from a Muslim background, at least his name would suggest so, uh, when he was 17, he said these things about 9-11, and now he's trying to take them back. Um, sorry, Ali, that's pretty cowardly. But anyway... The whole Muslim world knows this and says this. The polls show that more than three quarters of the world's Muslims know that 9-11 was a false flag. In the United States, it's more than two thirds. And these are just the ones who admit it to the pollsters. Um, so frankly, I think that banning uh, free speech about the 9-11 false flag is targeting Muslims. It's a form of Islamophobia, if you want to be honest about it. Muslims are not allowed to say what they think about this. And I mean, that's a grotesque uh, racism and bigotry issue, but you're never going to hear about that in the mainstream. Instead, they're going to say that, that Ali and all the other Muslims who are telling the truth about 9-11 are the ones that are uh, conducting this hate speech. Yeah, I, uh, I, in, in regard to that, I was in uh, Dearborn 
and took part in the Arbaeen march in Dearborn. I uh, just happened to be there on the, on the day. I was actually, I was going to go on the real Arbaeen, but I, got, I was invited there by our friends uh, in Iran, but I, I, got, uh, I had to go to the hospital, couldn't do it. So here I am, I'm in Dearborn at the Arbaeen march. Thousands and thousands of people uh, mourning the death of Hussein, uh, chanting, long live Hussein. Uh, it looked like uh, the the uh, the 9/11 worst nightmare. Okay, all of these Muslims marching down the street. They have green headbands on. There's something written in Arabic which I, nobody can understand. It, probably, it looks like Hezbollah. It looks like it has something <laughs> to do with Hezbollah. It probably this was Iraqi uh, Shia. That's uh, what I was told. Uh, mostly uh, Iraqi Shia who have settled in Dearborn. So I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about uh, what would what would Henry Ford say about this? What would well he'd Henry, say it right on? He'd, he'd join the march. He, Henry Ford brought the uh, Muslims to to uh, uh, Dearborn to work in the Ford factory because they didn't drink, and so they didn't show up hungover or drunk uh, for work. But the, the, the I was thinking about this in terms of uh, Charlottesville. Let's compare this to Charlottesville. Charlottesville was was a disaster because the people identified as white. And as soon as you identify with white, uh, you're a racist. And as soon as you're identified as a racist, you have no rights and the constitution doesn't apply to you and you just get mowed down, which is what happened to, yeah, to yeah, the yeah, white the guys. The FBI is investigating somebody who put up okay to be white science. We'll get to that story later. Yeah, but so so here, I, I think that my, I have always maintained that uh, religious, uh, uh, that ethnic identity in America is religious. And it's based on a book, uh, 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 Will Herbert's book, Protestant Catholic Jew. At this point, it came out in 54, there weren't enough Muslims uh, in the country to be considered uh, as part of a quadruple melting pot. Herberg, I think in, in the book, would deny them uh, American citizenship. I think that's the way, that's the direction that book is going. But what I'm saying here is that these, the only way I think that you have a right to assemble and the right to free speech is if you identify with a religious group in this country. I think it's the only way that you, you have that right anymore. And I think if Antifa had showed up uh, to attack the Arbaeen March, they would have lived or maybe not lived, uh, but would have regretted it. I think that this is the only option that is available. First of all, the march was too big. They had too many people uh, to, to basically impede it. And secondly, they have a protection simply because it's a religious procession. And I think that's that's in many ways the last ditch. We have to basically get into this ditch and say we have this religious identity. Or let's put it this way. Because we have a religion, we have an identity that cannot be taken away from us. That's a if great you, point. If you identify as a white guy, you play right into the hands of your enemies because they will define what you mean. And, and the classic way they do this is by appointing your leaders. So who appointed Richard Spencer, the leader here? Well, it was ABC, NBC, and CBS. They are the ones who appointed this guy the leader because he would make. They knew he would make the most extreme type of statements and fulfill everyone's fantasy of the of the white nationalists. That's right. So basically, to get free speech on 9/11, we Muslims have to get Al Azhar to make some kind of fatwa saying that the truth, Al Haq is a name of God, and so that we are obliged to tell the truth about important things, and therefore the truth about 9-11 is a sacred tenet of the Islamic religion. And if we say that, maybe we'll be allowed to talk about 9-11 otherwise not. Well, Tulsi Gabbard then is gonna to have to convert to Islam. Ha, huh, good luck with that. The next uh, slide, we move on to our other 9-11 truth story. Uh, Tulsi is over on Tucker Carlson saying that the U.S. government's hiding the truth, which is true, and that it was just the Saudis and Al-Qaeda that did it, which uh, I think she left out one very important group. But uh, I still see this as a step forward to be even saying this much little tiny bit of truth on Fox News. And in the next slide, we see that the liberal mainstream media is going bananas, uh, attacking Tulsi for saying this, which I think tends to underline the fact that what she said, even as, as half-truthy as it is, is a positive step. Yeah, uh, uh, the other big question here is uh, who appointed these people our leaders? Or let me put it this way, who, uh, who uh, uh, is responsible for saying that there are four front-running candidates and Tulsi Gabbard is not one of them? There, not one vote has been cast here, okay? 
this is supposed to be an election where the people decide. And so far, what is being decided for the people is who are the people, the candidates who are to be taken seriously. Now, because this group of people, I, I hate to engage in conspiracy theories here, but I think it's yeah, that's what we do here. I think it's basically the pollsters, the mainstream media and all the money interests that go into that. And basically they measure the money that these people get. And, and that's how. So it's oligarchs choosing the candidates for us. Yeah. And, and and the people then are so brainwashed. How long are we going to go on here before this Iowa primary? You know, so you got a guy who is I mean, I hate to down to denigrate uh, a, a local guy here. But Pete Buttigieg is from South Bend, Indiana. And uh, when was the last time someone from a small town in Indiana was elected president or taken seriously? Why is he taken seriously? Well, the first answer to that question is because he's a homosexual and homosexuals have privilege that other groups don't have. They are a designated privileged group that has been appointed by the oligarchs. They are proxy warriors. OK, that com that 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 is the issue here. OK, nobody takes this guy seriously unless the media anoint him uh, because they want this type of guy to represent oligarchic interests. You would think That's, that you think they'd anoint Tulsi. She's a minority. She volunteered for the 9-11 wars and fought heroically, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, she's pretty decent looking as political candidates go and speaks pretty well. But you don't really see the media anointing her. Why is what's the difference between Tulsi and Pete Buttigieg? What's the difference? Well, Tulsi is uh, is straight uh, female <laughs> and says some sensible things about the 9-11 wars. Yeah. So that disqualifies her. So you can have just all the superficial stuff like Pete served his country. Pete didn't. Pete abandoned South Bend, Indiana. He got elected mayor. And then suddenly within months, he, he leaves and goes to Afghanistan for nine months because he wants to pad his resume. His whole campaign has been making himself appealing to oligarchic interests. That's and, and to do that, that you have to convince people to vote for you ultimately. Uh, but I, I just don't I just don't see it happening. I just Wait, going back to these these stories at HuffPost and Salon and these other mainstream outlets bashing Tulsi as a conspiracy theorist for even you know talking about this really superficial level of the false flag on 9-11, uh, a couple of sentences jumped out from this. First, uh, we had the HuffPost saying uh, later reports, including the 9-11 commission report, explicitly cleared the Saudi government. So therefore, we don't need to release all this classified stuff from the earliest <laughs> investigation. OK. And then they they accused Tulsi of speaking in a darkly paranoid way. And they said this is a boon for leaders like Bashar Assad and Vladimir Putin. Oh, my God. What, talk about low grade propaganda. This is uh, go, taking us back to like you know World War One almost. And then the New York Times uh, in this article bashing Trump, as they often do, uh, made some, you know, it's true that some of Trump's and Trump supporters so-called conspiracy theories are not the true ones. And in fact, some of them were even kind of obnoxious. But the New York Times is no better at sifting through the conspiracy theories to figure out which ones are true and which ones aren't than Donald Trump and his supporters are. So, you know, they're all a bunch of lunatics as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And what about this whole Russia influenced our election? Uh, uh, is that a conspiracy theory? That's one of the weaker conspiracy theories out there, actually. But it's their conspiracy theory. Yeah. So it's OK. But anyway, it's all it's all determined by evolution and genes anyway. So what difference does it make? <laughs> there you go. Why are we even talking about this? We're all it's uh, our genetic makeup. It's our genes forcing us to talk this way. That's true. I must have some kind of conspiracy theorist gene, and, and I'm sure that they're doing studies right now, well-funded with taxpayer dollars to try and locate that gene so it can yes. be eradicated with gene therapy. Uh, so anyway, this New York Times article talks about QAnon, which is, I think, one of the dicier conspiracy theories. You know, I don't know about those particular pizza restaurants. Oh, wait a minute. That was Pizzagate. QAnon is the uh, Donald Trump is going to clean up the deep state. Okay, that's pretty goofy. Uh, it talks about the conspiracy theory of the top Democrats being involved with sex trafficking and things like that. Well, uh, wait a minute, Bill Clinton, Jeffrey Epstein, excuse me. <laughs> I mean, that's actually a pretty strong conspiracy theory, but New York times, they can't tell the difference. Uh, so, so why all this talk of conspiracy theories in the first place, let's move on to the evolutionary explanation. You mentioned Mike, uh, before they do the gene therapy, they just have to be sure that it really is all genetic and, 
here we have <laughs> one of the most overgeneralized, like banal explanations for conspiracy theory I've ever seen in my life. Um, this guy is a professor. He's getting funding for this, apparently. I think he's Dutch or maybe just of Dutch extraction. And because people are naturally suspicious of outsiders, because we evolved in groups that fight with outside groups, therefore, we all are paranoid about outsiders, and that's why there are conspiracy theorists running around. Mm, okay. <laughs> well, is that a conspiracy that that other tribe that you just attacked may attack back? Is that a conspiracy? <laughs> it sounds pretty rational to me. What's the conspiracy? Do you think they're the, the one tribe is sitting there after they've chopped off the heads of a few people, and then they're sitting around the fire and thinking, do you think they're talking about us? <laughs> Yeah, is that they, a conspiracy? Is that a conspiracy? That sounds pretty rational to me. Why, why wouldn't they be talking about you? And then that goes on and on and on. It's based on a conspiracy. No, that's not what a conspiracy is. A conspiracy is the withholding of certain uh, information about what this group is planning to do and then substituting another explanation. None of these primitive groups have enough sophistication or media or whatever to do that. They can't do that. It's impossible because you can't come up with official a two-tier uh, uh, explanation of things. So why, why would that happen? And it doesn't have anything to do with the modern, the manipulation of media to create a false narrative to confuse people. They're, they're two completely different things. That's an interesting point. And, and I, I think the key factor would be technology developing to the point that elites have control of a kind of a, a one-to-many uh, media system. And once they get that, it's no longer uh, a situation where all of the people are involved in face-to-face -face discussions with their tribal leaders about what the next tribe is doing. Now right. you're in a situation where they can very artfully manufacture all kinds of uh, propaganda to brainwash the masses. And the internet was supposed to put us into a many-to-many -many system again, a little bit like that more democratic sort of pre-quote-unquote civilization system, but it seems that the one-too-many media spinmeisters and propagandists didn't like that. And so now they're trying to make sure that the internet goes back to functioning as a one-too-many propaganda information system. Right, right. So was the uh, CIA involved in the toppling of Mossadegh in 1953, or is that just a conspiracy theory? Well, well the CIA was involved in manufacturing the term conspiracy theory, <laughs> against people who talk about CIA conspiracies like killing JFK and toppling Mossadegh. So yeah, it's, that's, uh, that's how it works. Let's move on because I think we've, we've definitely uh, covered the conspiracy theory topic. So let's talk about whether climate change is a conspiracy theory or is it true as the mainstream tells us that anybody who doubts climate change is a conspiracy theorist? I guess that would be you, Mike, because in the new culture wars, you suggest that Greta Thunberg is not so much a brave child heroine leading the next children's crusade against something that's going to destroy us all if we don't do something, which is what the mainstream mostly says, you suggest that she's a bit unstable and being used by oligarchs for nefarious purposes. That sounds like a conspiracy theory to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fortunately, her mother wrote a book about her and about their family. Uh, and uh, it's I'm grateful that she did, because it really puts this whole thing in perspective, even though that was not her intention. The intention in the book is clear. Uh, she, there was a guy, a big uh, funny confrontation on Fox News where I think it was Michael Knowles said this lady is mentally ill. And the guy, the other guy who's supposed to just be answering questions, he burst in and says, you should be ashamed of yourself, skinny boy. You know, this is outrageous to say that. And then he, before Knowles could say anything, he's he shut down and there he's fired and uh, Fox issues an apology and uh, he'll never be back again. Well, it turns out that Greta's mother wrote the book about Greta being mentally ill. We're not telling tales out of school here. This is what her mother says. And her mother says it all happened because when Greta was in school, she saw a video about this uh, island of plastic floating in the middle of the Pacific. Mm -hmm. And she got so upset that she was completely mentally unhinged. And wait, and wait a minute, Mike. That, to me, that's a sign of her being sane. I, I've seen these plastic, mm -hmm. uh, that giant plastic that takes up half of the Pacific Ocean, uh, that garbage floating in the Pacific Ocean. And if you don't get upset about that, I think you're crazy. Right. It is. It is upsetting. Uh, but uh, did that cause her mental illness? Okay. 
That's the big question. And I think the answer is no, because I think the book contains a much more plausible explanation. And the plausible, more plausible explanation is feminism, is feminism. So this is, we have to sexualize into this in the context of Sweden. Okay, Sweden abandoned Christianity over the course of the 20th century and basically replaced it with socialism, which is Christianity without Christ. And they created this utopia there where everyone was supposed to be happy. They, they actually moved about, reversed the population. At the beginning, uh, middle of the 20th century, 80% of the people live in the country and 20% live in cities. By the end of the 20th century, that's reversed. 80% live in cities, 20% live in the country. They've created this utopia. Uh, by moving people into modern houses, women then had 10 extra hours a day. So it's like daylight savings time. That, that's just one extra hour a day. Better than daylight savings time. But better. You got 10 extra hours. So the women immediately rush out and they get jobs and they uh, abandon the home. And uh, Malena uh, uh, Ehrenmann, greatest mother, is no exception. She's only exceptional in that she became an opera singer. And she became then even more famous as the winner of the, Euro winner of the Eurovision Song Contest in 2006. The problem here is that mom's not home anymore. Okay, mom is off being famous. Great uh, has her father there, but the father, I mean, father's a poor substitute for the mother in this instance. And so she reaches a crisis and the crisis is puberty. Uh, at this point, 11-year-old uh, uh, girls are subjected to sex education in Sweden. And sex education means films. Uh, uh, earlier, it was a kind of pornographic film, an actual film of two people having sexual intercourse. Then it became a cartoon, which was even more pointed because now it's not adults. It's, it's children having sexual intercourse. And this had an effect on the boys in that the sexualized them. And they started uh, molesting the girls. And the girls hated it because they were portrayed as victims in a sense. And so Greta is now uh, the only place you can find uh, peace is the girls room. And she goes in and hides out in the girls room until the whole monitor drags her out, puts her back in class and forces her into this situation, which she finds intolerable. And at this point, she stops eating. Now. There is a rational behavior here, because if you stop eating, this means that mom has to come home and feed you. And so what I'm saying here is this, this, this is a protest against Swedish socialism, against sex education, against the absence of the mother from the home and the absence of mom cooking meals, because there's lots in this book about dad cooking meals, but it's not enough. She eats gnocchi. It takes her two and a half hours to eat five gnocchi. OK, so this is this is the, the situation the family's falling apart. They're trying to find some type of cure for what looks like a psycho, uh, psycho problems. And they find the cure in climate change. This, the, she makes it very that, clear. Something, something is apocalyptically destroying our civilization. It's, it's, you know, life is unbearable. Uh, and, and so you project that and you can see this thing coming into the future. Well, in a sense though, Mike, isn't it true that the modern technological world that produced these conditions that you described that, that drove uh, Greta Thunberg crazy is perhaps also responsible for trashing our biosphere as well. In other words, maybe this maybe it's the conspiracy theory is right that, that modern uh, technologically enhanced life is destroying us both socially and ecologically. If, if you're talking about pollution, I am not going to endorse pollution. OK, there are problems, there are real problems that need to be solved and they can be symbolized by that island of plastic floating around yeah. in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I'm going crazy just thinking about that. I know I can see it. I can see it by looking at your face. But uh, the, that's not what we're talking about here. OK, we're talking uh, we're talking about, first of all, something that united the family. OK, the family's divided because mom is out being famous. Now the family's together and they're united against climate change. So that solved that problem. Ah, there but, you go. So so but what but what is the problem? Mm -hmm. They're very specifically committed to the to the proposition that carbon dioxide is causing climate change. And, and let's move to the next slide, which is where we get into that discussion. Uh, this year, there was a, a news report that uh, a new scientific study has shown that the sea levels 125,000 years ago were 10 meters above present levels, and that this should terrify us. 
Yes. So the question, so what is uh, socialism? It's also atheism. And if atheism means there's no God. And if there's no God, there's no God in charge of the universe. And if there's no God who's responsible for the climate change, well, it has to be man. So everything becomes man. It did this so man can cure it. Well, that may not be the case. I mean, her, uh, her mother says that the greater can see CO2. So she's kind of a mystic, you know, and she has this mystical insight of thing. But maybe it's not the cause. Maybe CO2. We have this uh, the scandal at East Anglia University where they fudged all of the numbers to make sure that it looks as if CO2 emission is the cause. And that blew up and that discredited that whole thing. Maybe what you're seeing here in this article is that there are natural causes for climate change, which means God is doing it. And there's not a damn thing we can do about it uh, except move to higher ground. It looks as if that may that may be the case. Who knows? Well, you know, from my religious perspective, life is a test. God created the universe uh, so he could be worshipped. And that goes along with all sorts of uh, precepts, including ethical, moral and spiritual precepts. And it's basically a test to see how well we do. And maybe doing well on the test does include getting non-attached to material things enough so that rather than devouring and destroying the physical environment around us, we preserve it and take good care of it and are happy to live a contemplative life without vast amounts of uh, burning energy and manufacturing plastic and things like that. So I would meet you halfway there, Mike. I think that maybe- Why, why halfway? What, what is this halfway stuff? Is God in charge or not? Well, of, of course God's in charge, but God- Okay, that's all I'm saying. We, we're being tested on our free will, and we have the free choice of whether to destroy ourselves and each other and the planet or not, right? But we have to understand what we need to do. What do we need to do? Well, if, it's, if, if it, what this article is saying is true, that these are natural cycles- where uh, maybe it's sunspots, maybe it's something or other, but where uh, the ice melts and the water level rises, what exactly are we supposed to do about that? We can't do anything about that. We, we have no control over that. And this is intolerable. And so they have to find CO2 because we are in charge of CO2 emissions. So it's like, don't just stand there, do something. So, but do what? I mean, what am well, I supposed well, to do, you're, Greg? You're right. I, what about I, you? What about yeah. you? You you sailed a yacht across the, the Atlantic to get to that United Nations meeting, and now you can't get back. And the crew of your yacht, <laughs> your crew of your yacht, had to fly back on jets anyway. So what? Yeah. What are we? What am I supposed to do, Greta? I'm puzzled here. I'd like to do something. I don't like that island of plastic in the Pacific any more than you do. But it's not clear to me that you uh, know what the solution is or what the cause is. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's a pretty good point. Uh, the best critiques of the climate change hypothesis that I've seen involve what could we really do to deal with this. And often it looks like the cures that are proposed might end up being worse than the disease, uh, certainly with geoengineering and possibly with uh, getting off fossil fuel too fast as well. But that's a very complex discussion. And this is a show that moves really fast and we have to move even faster because we're, we're not even a third of the way through the show. We're over halfway through the time. So let's uh, quickly move to the next news story on this. U.S. is withdrawing from the Paris Climate Agreement on November 4th, 2020. And uh, I suppose... You're not panicking about that, Mike. No, I'm not. And before we move from Sweden to Paris, we have to. We should mention that Greta is intimately connected with the Swedish uh, socialist energy sector, who is trying to promote things like carbon credits. Uh, never let a crisis go to waste. And so there are people who want to cash on this thing by allowing, uh, telling you how much your uh, carbon you're allowed to emit, or something like that. So that's also a factor that has to be taken into account here. And, and when you mentioned she's a tool of the oligarchs, I assume you mean those particular oligarchs who are profiting off things like these planned uh, carbon credits and things right. like that, as this opposed is, to the oil oligarchs. Right. These are, this is the Swedish energy sector. You know, they don't have, uh, they're not invested in Saudi Arabia. They yeah, have they're, their they're own not the plan. Yeah. No, this is different. This is different. And that she has an intimate connection with them. Uh, the, the guy who, uh, just happened to be there, just happened to walk by when uh, Greta is involved in her school strike, uh, is one of the big energy guys who, opens, uh, who is a protege of Al Gore and a friend of Greta's mother. And that's all connected. All and, the guy, 
and it's a small world and Sweden is even smaller. Okay. But, uh, and uh, they go back to Olaf Palma, who was the orchestrator of not only uh, the uh, Swiss socialism, but also the climate change uh, CO2 hypothesis. In Operation well. 40, the CIA assassination ring uh, killed him. That was back when, when our government didn't like socialism, supposedly. The, you, you, know, you know more about that than I do. I had a long conversation with a Swede who took exception to my article, and he went into great detail about the Palma uh, murder, something ver very mysterious. Yeah, but well, if, you know, if you know, tell tell me, tell me why. Tell me why the CIA murdered him. I think it was a Cold War thing. I think there was an element of the CIA that was fanatically uh, involved in the Cold War and believed that people too far to the left and too independent of U.S. empire in Europe were a threat to them. And so they killed a lot of people like that. They tried to kill de Gaulle. Uh, they they took out, uh, uh, what's his name, Moro in Italy. They, you know, the, the, this was actually par for the course during the Cold War. Yeah, yeah. Okay, moving on to uh, the axis of resistance. And, you know, Mike, I missed the New Horizon Conference, as I believe you did this year, because the Zionist-occupied U.S. Treasury Department had a, a wing of the Sanctions Enforcement Division run by Segal Mandelker, the Israeli-born, um, <laughs> whatever she is, who somehow was put in charge of persecuting people like us who would like to go to scholarly conferences in places like Beirut, uh, sponsored by an Iranian NGO. So this uh, this is a misleading slide because that, that's you and me, Mike, uh, many years ago in Tehran, not in Beirut. We couldn't go to Beirut, but interestingly, Sigal Mandelkar was fired right after this conference. And here the Atlantic Institute, a typical you know Zionist American imperialist think tank, is wringing its hands about how the sanctions failed and just gave the New Horizon conference more street cred in the region. So once again, the Zionists shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, Pat Buchanan used to refer to uh, Congress as Israeli-occupied territory. If there's ever Israeli-occupied territory, it's the sanctions office at the uh, Treasury Department. This is a scandal, a, a colossal scandal, that, a, a group that is working totally for Israel with no, no sense uh, whatsoever that they belong to represent the United States of America. So, we, you know, we have in, in, in Indiana... Some our Solons pass a bill uh, banning trade with I I Iran. First of all, does Indiana have a foreign policy? Isn't that against some type of act here or other? But anyway, so I wrote to our, uh, our uh, my legislator and I said, "Do you represent the people of Indiana, or you just, do you represent the Israel lobby?" Now, if you ever written a letter to a congressman, they immediately have a press a button and the letter shoots out. I never got a letter. I, he, he was totally dumbfounded by this question, but this is the fundamental question that needs to be asked about the Treasury Department. Whose treasury are we talking about here? Well, I mean, uh, Mnuchin just went over, I don't know whether you saw that video, of him standing next to Benjamin Netanyahu saying, yeah, we're really putting the screws to Iran and blah, blah, blah. Well, who are you working for? Are you working for the Israelis or are you working for the American people? It looks to me as if you're working for the Israelis. It sure does. Uh, well, this week, the New Horizon NGO issued its videos from this year's conference, and uh, they have videos up from earlier conferences, probably featuring both of us, among other uh, illustrious independent thinkers that have been going to Tehran on a regular basis for, what, almost like six or seven years now, but couldn't go this year thanks to the uh, Israelis running America's Treasury Department. And on the in the next slide, we see uh, Tony Hall, our False Flag Weekly News colleague did an interview with Nader Talabzada, who is the head of the New Horizon NGO, as well as the most popular talk show host on Iran. I was on his show this week, too. I imagine you were probably on his show fairly recently, Mike, uh, so people can check that out. Lots of good uh, video being produced by New Horizon, even if they're not allowed to bring us to their conferences anymore. No, I wasn't on recently, but I was on uh, one time there on the, on the show when I was in Tehran. Uh, and uh, great show. It was uh, yeah, it was a great show. It was I mean, Totter is a, a really uh, intelligent guy. He he studied over here. He was studying film at, uh, at NYU, I believe, and uh, really understands uh, uh, America in a way that uh, 
allows him to communicate with people like us on a, on a, a high level. So it's a, it's a tragedy that this is broken off. I, when I used to, I, I used to come back and uh, I used to be interrogated. Uh, and after a while they stopped talking to me, but uh, when I went there, I'd say, you should, you should kiss my hand when I come back here because I'm doing more for America than the entire uh, federal government. It's not costing you a nickel for me to go over there. And just by talking to people, give the impression that Americans are not a bunch of, a bunch of mindless sex robots and wage slaves. And they can actually talk intelligent with people from other parts of the world about the real issues. Citizen diplomacy. Well, I guess that might be good for America, but it's not so great for Israel if America and Iran become friendlier. And that's really the bottom line here. Uh, so why do the Israelis hate Iran so much? Well, maybe because Iran supports the Palestinian resistance. Um, that's an open secret that Iran is the main supporter of the Palestinian resistance and the Palestinian people in their struggle against Israeli genocide. And in the next slide, we have just, you know, one example from this week. We have examples of this every week. I, I mean, I hate to belabor the obvious, but the uh, outrageous behavior of the Israelis as they torment the Palestinians, in this case, uh, brutalizing a father in front of his child, his five-year-old child, claiming that the five-year-old is a threat to throw stones. You know, this is just uh, so you can see why the Palestinians have resistance organizations. Of course they have to. What, what else could they do? Yeah, I mean, if it weren't for uh, this support, if it weren't for Hezbollah, uh, the Israelis would have rolled over Lebanon in 2006. Hezbollah stopped uh, the, that incursion into, into Lebanon, and the Israelis have never come back. They've never, they haven't tried it again. They, this, this, is, this is the significance of this. It's also, I think, the significance of, uh, as I said, the, the cunning of reason in history. So the neocons take control of our foreign policy. They remove Saddam Hussein. And in doing that, they make the situation worse for Israel because they promote Iran into a regional power that can now project power through Iraq, through Syria, down into Lebanon, through Hezbollah. And now these, these, these people, the Lebanese, can defend themselves against the Israelis. That's God's hand in, in, in history, as far as I'm concerned. I, I agree. And I think from an American perspective, uh, this is really a scandal. Most Americans come from a Christian background and would support uh, a kind of an American style approach to religion in places like uh, the, the Middle East, where people are free to practice their faith and minorities are protected. Yet we're not on the side uh, that's doing that. In the next few slides, we can go through these. They're all basically stories harping on the same theme. Uh, Vanessa Bealey points out that the white helmets are associated with the kinds of U.S. created and funded so-called Islamic extremist groups, these Wahhabi groups like Daesh um, and to some extent al-Nusra uh, that have been involved in chemical weapons, false flags. So the U.S. is on the side that's ethnically cleansing the religious minorities, including Christians. And in the next slide, uh, similar uh, theme uh, coming from Heretz where Putin and the Russians are not only trying to protect other religious minorities, Christians and so on, uh, but also Jews in Syria. And then in the, of course, that gets into Putin's relationship with people who are friendly with Israel. It's a very complex topic. And then the next uh, slide shows us the USA Today story, a surprisingly objective, I thought, better than most mainstream media fluff. Uh, pointing out that American evangelicals are uh, not that happy about not just Trump's Syria policy, but they're really not happy about the fact that the U.S. has been in bed with the people who are uh, tormenting Christians in the region, whereas Iran and Russia are on the side of the people protecting these minorities. I mean, I hate to say that. I'm, I'm you know, religiously, I'm a Muslim and you'd call me a Sunni because I haven't like converted to Shia Islam or anything like that. But the fact is that Islam is supposed to protect religious minorities and Daesh and these kinds of people are not doing that properly. So this is a the American position, the Muslim position should be the same as the Iranian position, the Russian position, and it should be protecting these, uh, these people, not uh, allowing them to be persecuted and ethnically cleansed. Yeah, but I mean, what you're also seeing here is an intra-Islamic war. 
between Iran and the Saudis. And there, I, I don't see that these, this will ever be reconciled. I mean, let's, I, I personally feel that the Arba'in is a Persian protest march. It's a Persian protest march against the Arabic conquest, conquest of, of Persia. And it's been that way for centuries. Wait a minute, the big march is in Iraq and it's an Arab country and it's Arabs making the march. So I, I don't quite understand your point. Shia, Shia Islam is not fundamentally an Arab phenomenon. It's more a Persian phenomenon than an Arab phenomenon. Isn't no, that I true? Think, no, I don't think that's true. I mean, it, it all started uh, among Arabs and Arabic speakers and there are Shia communities all over the place. Some of them, uh, of course, today, uh, Iran has become the flagship of Shia Islam. But uh, I, I don't think it's quite that simple. Well, I mean, it's a protest between two different strains of Islam. I mean, isn't that right? I mean, it basically, the caliph murdered Husseini. Well, these, yeah, right? but these are actually both minority strains. The, the, the Saudi version of Islam is actually more offensive to most of the world's Muslims than the Iranian one. The I understand. The Wahhabi version I, is, is, is way off, you know, and, and even modern Salafi Islam is heretic, far more heretical than 12 or Shia Islam, which follows uh, Jafari, who is one of the five great founders of the five great Orthodox law schools, whereas a lot of Salafis today don't accept any of the law schools. And the Wahhabis uh, might claim that they, uh, you know, they, they, they follow a law school, but they're completely out to lunch and they're basically a bunch of desert barbarians. So I, I think, yeah, to some extent, there's a Saudi versus uh, versus Iran war going on. But I don't think this represents uh, Islam, really. I think it's to the, it, and I think that it's actually the Iranians who represent uh, majority Sunni Islam against Wahhabis. I, I there is a war between the Wahhabis and the, uh, the Iranians, the Saudis and the Iranians. There, there's just no question about it. And it's it's an intra-Islamic war, and I think it goes back to, I think it goes back to the beginning. I, I mean, you can say, I mean, you, all you have to do is read poets like uh, Iranian poets like Ferdowsi, and the Shahnameh, and and you realize that there is this strain of uh, Persian culture that simply never never accepted Islam, and that the the group that did accept it accepted it on its own terms and are considered heretics. So I mean, just just geopolitically, it's not. There's never. I don't see any resolution to this conflict. It's not going to happen. If it well, hasn't I, happened, if it hasn't happened in a thousand, uh, fifteen hundred years, it's not going to happen now. Well, in the latest edition of Crescent International, there's a very interesting article proposing that Pakistan, Turkey, and Iran join to liberate the Haramain, that is Mecca and Medina, and do so militarily. And I, they, it, the article points out this would be supported by a great majority of the world's Muslims. And there's no reason why uh, those three countries couldn't do that. Uh, but that's a go to the Crescent International website to read that story because we have to move really fast for our last uh, yeah. 12 stories here. Okay, this is my article at Crescent about Iraq pointing out that it looks like another color revolution scenario there with the Saudis involved in destabilizing Iraq. And it's part of this, you know, this struggle that you're talking about, Mike. But, but let's go to the United States now, where Max Blumenthal, uh, the son of Sid Blumenthal, Hillary Clinton's crony, uh, uh, Sid is a liberal Zionist, Max has become a quasi anti-Zionist, maybe a real anti-Zionist, I don't know, anyway, here he is uh, being arrested on apparently bogus assault charges after a fracas at the Venezuelan embassy. Uh, just another example of the crackdown on alternative media. Yeah, it looks that way. You know more about it than I do. Okay, uh, and speaking of the crackdown, let's move to the next slide because I know more about this one. Actually, I'm involved in that. Reason Magazine, uh, the flagship libertarian journal here in the United States just published a piece pointing out that it looks like Lenny Posner, who won a 450,000 libel judgment against Jim Fetzer, the editor of the book Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, uh, is suspected of being the one who has requested that Google de-index articles about that Posner versus Fetzer court case that Posner doesn't like. So only the only articles that you're allowed to see about this court case are the ones that present Lenny Posner's perspective. My article, which was perhaps too friendly, frankly, to Jim Fetzer's perspective in certain respects, uh, is off limits. You're not allowed to find that on Google. 
another example of a crackdown on alternative media. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think and the right. shadow banning is crazy. Has has uh, culture wars been shadow banned? Like, or will Google give you culture wars material? Honestly, I, I they they recommend my stuff. I mean, what exactly is the mechanism of shadow banning? Well, Google just tweaks its algorithm so instead of giving you the you know if, if you put in uh, Jim Fetzer versus Lenny Posner, uh, if you did that last week, you would have found that my article. The legal lynching of a truth seeker at UNS uh, was maybe the most read of any article about this case. And so it would come up at the top of the Google rankings. But when they tweak the algorithm, they can hide that article so that even though it's the most popular, or it was until they tweak the algorithm, now anybody who feeds those search terms into Google will never find my article. All they'll find is the mainstream pieces supporting Posner's position. Yeah. I, the answer to that question is I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I, I, Mike, the question I come up in re, with in response is how how can they possibly keep up with this? How can they possibly? I mean, the people well, they can't, they can, what they do they only do this when something reaches a certain level, right? If right. You're, but 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 a lot of the alternative media has reached that level and then has been shadow banned. Even false flag weekly news, I believe, and the term false flag, the search term false flag, has been tweaked. And we're not getting the search results at Google that we used to years ago. Uh, so it's one you, way. You, you can program a computer to look up false flag, and then you can just ban everything having to do with false flag. Mm -hmm. I, that's, that seems to me a possibility, but I still don't see how anyone in, in, can keep up with the events as they continue to change. And, and well, they can't. Yeah, so they only jump in and do this when they feel they need to, when something is starting to go viral. Like my article here went pretty viral. Uh, the most extreme case of this was when the RT documentary, 9-11 and Operation Gladio, was uh, heading for hundreds of millions of views on the anniversary of September 11th several years ago. And suddenly it disappeared from all search engines, including the internal YouTube search engine. And if you tried to email that URL to your friends, your email would disappear into a black hole in cyberspace. It would never be received, nor would it be bounced. Yeah. And th so that's an extreme case. But I think they're doing a lot more of this these so days. So what, what, what are the chances for success here over the long haul? What do you think? You mean for us to, to convince Google for to them, stop doing this? No, for them to keep ahead of the curve here and no. ban the stuff that they don't like. I think they're increasingly moving in dra more and more draconian directions because the half measures are really not working. That's my take thus far, but we'll see. I, th I think that's where hate crime legislation comes well, in. Yeah, the, the, speaking of which, let's move to the next story, which is the hate-filled flyers found at the Western Connecticut State University campus. Um, this story is quite amusing. The ranting about how horrible these, these atrocious right-wing hate-filled flyers were. And then, well, what were the flyers? In the next slide, I think we have this next slide showing you the actual hate-filled flyers. It's okay to be white is apparently a hate slogan. And Islam is right about women is a hate slogan. Well, wait a minute, Mike. I agree with both of those slogans. That shows, uh, it shows you're involved in hate speech. You shouldn't. I must, it's, it's, like I called up the university PR <laughs> office in the next slide. You'll, I think you'll see my uh, the YouTube I made of this phone call. And I, I said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm Muslim and I'm white and I think Islam is right about women and a lot of other things. And I think it's probably okay to be white. Uh, how, why did you call the FBI? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the PR guy actually handled it very well. It's, it's I think, uh, reasonably amusing uh, conversation. Yeah, there was a similar story in Philadelphia. And the, the story portrayed by the mainstream media was hate speech flyers in South Philadelphia. And they kept waving this flyer around. There's some lady just going on and saying how terrible it was and so on and so forth. But you could never figure out, well, what exactly did they say? What was the hate speech? Well, it turns out that uh, later there's a group called the Black Jewish Alliance uh, denounced this uh, flyer. Black Jewish Alliance is a group that was created by the ADL to, make, to cover over the fact that the Black Jewish Alliance collapsed in 1967. So they tried to resurrect something that doesn't exist anymore. But so apparently, well, it started talking, started off talking about Goldman Sachs, and then it ended up talking about the Sackler family and opioids. So now I guess that's hate speech. You can't object to Goldman Sachs anymore. Or, I mean, or uh, can, can we object to Jeffrey Epstein? Or is the fact that he's from a Jewish background, that means that we can't even mention the name Jeffrey Epstein? 
look, I think that's where we're headed. Uh, that's where we're headed, Kevin. That's what the ADL wants. The ADL is in charge of uh, enforcing hate speech on the Internet. And it's going to come down to the fact that anything the Jews don't like is going to be determined or called hate speech. Well, hopefully we can still attack and insult Catholics and Catholicism in the Pope. I mean, if not, we will have totally lost our right of free right, speech. Right. The next thank, <laughs> thank God for Catholicism. There you go. Uh, uh, here we are insulting the Catholics. We're equal, equal opportunity here at False Flag Weekly News. I, I, so I put out this radio interview with Peter Myers, uh, and I came up with this headline, uh, Has the Pope Turned Pagan? Uh, and in the next slide, we see that there's a big controversy going on as various people are horrified that they had this sort of worship of the goddess Pachamama, a uh, sort of a, a Central or South American uh, matriarch goddess or something. They had a, a ceremony for her in the Vatican. And here we have the Colosseum in Rome featuring a statue of Moloch, the Canaanite and Phoenician deity that they used to sacrifice children well, to, speaking wait. of Jeffrey Epstein. Wait, wait, this is totally appropriate for the Colosseum to have a statue of Moloch there. This is not the Vatican, okay? The Colosseum, if I remember correctly, is where uh, Christians used to be eaten by lions, okay? So, 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 so now they're going to throw the babies to Moloch. Well, that's what Moloch is, yeah. So it's appropriate. I, I, there's nothing wrong with having a statue of Moloch at the Colosseum. That's what it was there for. To get back to the other story, uh, what happened after that fact is that some Austrian 20-year-old, 27-year-old Austrian walked in, picked up these statues that, uh, and threw them into the Tiber River. And this caused a huge uh, outburst of praise for this courageous young man from Austria. Uh, what you're seeing here is a, a crisis here uh, in the church because of this, uh, uh, what should I say, uh, naive uh, attempt to uh, appeal to uh, indigenous cultures and uh, enculturation without uh, checking at the door whether it's a pagan idol or not you know so of course that those type of gestures are going to lead this type of reaction and that's caused huge uh, division and controversy in the church now well it, it turns out peter myers actually thought that um, a certain amount of uh, you know loose looseness and tolerance with regard to pagan deities is okay he's but he's, but he's kind of a lapsed catholic so i guess he would think that and as a muslim i said well i think we have to be kind of careful about paganism but uh, people can listen to the whole interview for the details there let's let's move back to the american police state where we can't criticize Jews. We still fortunately can criticize Catholics, alhamdulillah, but we better not criticize the police. Who knows what they might do? Uh, they might destroy your house. In Denver, a guy named Leo Leck had his house destroyed when a one robber carrying a handgun uh, brought a police overreaction featuring two armored vehicles, more than 100 SWAT team members who lobbed 40 millimeter bunker buster shells into the house room by room and destroyed his house. Uh, and of course, Leck himself, he had nothing to do with this. And the city offered him $5,000 in damages after destroying his $400,000 house. Talk about a police state. Why, are, why do the police have an armored vehicle? This is a military, this is a military weapon. Why do police have military weapons? What's the answer to that question? The answer is the Israelization of American police forces. They are being trained in, uh, taken to Israel, trained in Israel, and trained to teach, treat the people uh, and the communities they represent as some type of foreign occupying power or the enemy, okay? That's a bad thing. I can understand, we had an incident here in South Bend where uh, the cop uh, shot a man who was approaching him with a, a knife, okay? I, there's no, he had his camera turned off. There's no definitive proof, so it caused a big problem. So Pete Buttigieg has to run back to town. This is the, the what, doesn't this guy, what, what was this cop thinking? Pete has something more important to do than waste his time in this loser town in Indiana. He's got to come back and throw the police under the bus, in order to get the black vote of the Democratic in the Democratic primary, which is never going to vote for him anyway. Okay, well, it, moving on to the next story, uh, I, I will disagree with your overall perspective on this a little bit, Mike, uh, in that here, the new NYPD saying they're stabbed in the back because the voters passed a ballot measure giving a civilian oversight watchdog 
more authority to investigate cops who lie during investigations into brutality, corruption, and misconduct. Uh, to me, this is a symptom of uh, a huge problem in American policing. You know, the British bobbies used to be very polite, uh, maybe not so much anymore. The American cops, there's a bad minority of American cops who are projected, protected by the minority or by the majority. They lie on the stand routinely. They, uh, a certain number of cops in a lot of cities will brutalize people. Uh, happened to me once in San Francisco. So uh, I'm very sympathetic with people who are trying to get a way to actually deal with police misconduct, because usually they never even get a wrist slap. Yeah, and I'm sympathetic to cops who are demonized as ipso facto racist by the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. This was an, yeah, outrageous, argue with that. <laughs> an outrageous betrayal of the people who are working for him, for this guy's political opportunism, so that he can, he can grovel for a vote he's never gonna get anyway. Okay, uh, again, I, I will not uh, argue with that. Uh, moving on to more class war, and I think there is a class war thing here where the cop police brutality targets not so much people based on their skin color, although that may be part of it, but it's also uh, their level of wealth. It's the poor folks who have no recourse against uh, brutal cops and no recourse against all sorts of other things. And we're living in an increasingly unequal world. Now the New York real estate developers are going crazy, uh, freaking out because the state might tax third, fourth, fifth homes, uh, rich people who are, have these, uh, have two or three or four billion dollar mansions in New York City, along with their homes in Tokyo and, and Rome and everywhere else, um, are going to be taxed on that. Oh my goodness, how terrible. I think that I have the solution for New York City's uh, problems, income problems, to institute a wealth tax a wealth tax. Allahu Akbar. That's the Islamic position, Mike. 2.5% uh, wealth tax annually. A, a wealth tax <laughs> on individuals and corporations that will solve the problem of New York City. Okay. Well, as soon as we can get a, an Islamic theocracy installed there with uh, with me as the caliph or whatever you want to call me, uh, I will definitely institute that 2.5% tax. Uh, the It'll be a jizya if you're not Muslim, and it'll be uh, it, it'll, it'll be uh, a, a charity, a zakat, if you're a Muslim. Uh, okay, more economic news. We only have a, a couple of negative minutes left in our show. How about Ellen Brown saying there's a run on the dollar going on? Bottom line here is that the banksters are playing games with the money, doing nothing productive with it so they can line their own pockets. And we need to take over the banks and make them public utilities so that they will fund Main Street and productive activities. Amen. Amen, sister. I agree with that. Okay, and that that, sol that would also solve the problems in New York City as well. We, it we would devote our devote our attention to the problems that New York City is causing for the entire world, largely through the banking system. And public banking would probably work better than what they've got in India now, too, where more and more Indian women are taking their lives. Uh, the farmer suicides is way out of control there, and they're noticing that women are doing this. It's not just men. And this is. This goes uh, uh, there. I have an Indian friend who says the caste system is based on usury. In yeah. other words, it was the religious institution of usury that basically enslaved an entire population that, that to ensure that these people would always be debt slaves. They raided a religion out of it. And the religion Absolutely. Is the caste that's, system. that's why Modi hates Islam so much is because the Muslims came in and liberated people from debt slavery. And a lot of lower caste people, including lots of Dalits or untouchables, converted to Islam. And that's why the Hindus want to exterminate all Muslims from the Indian subcontinent, which is the program of Modi and his friends. Uh, that's right. Modi is playing a double game. He's promoting religious fundamentalism, uh, which is uh, a, a, a wreaking violence on Catholics in that country as a way of solidifying support for a regime that hands these people over to the big Western corporations as wage slaves. So it's a double game here. And there is some hope that the uh, troubled Indian economy will ultimately lead to the collapse of the Modi regime and hopefully the implosion of that whole Hindu fascist movement. We'll, we'll wait and see and pray for that. Well, finally, our last story is perhaps the most important story of the week. GOP lawmakers want to rename Route 66 the Donald J. Trump Highway. Get yeah. your kicks on Trump 66. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's take a road trip, Mike. Yeah, I have I have a I, I trust the uh, Route 66 bridge over the Mississippi River on my bicycle. 
Uh, it was the most terrifying experience I ever had in my life. So don't ask me about Route 66. It was being under construction, and there were eight-foot gaps that we had to basically leap across uh, with the Mississippi River flowing 100 feet below us. So. Wow. Well, I all I can say is alhamdulillah that uh, that God spared your life, saved you from drowning in the Mississippi River and being eaten by alligators as your corpse washed up <laughs> in Louisiana and allowed you to participate in False Flag Weekly News, the greatest weekly news show ever. So thank you once again, E. Michael Jones. I appreciate it. Love talking with you. Thank you. Okay. Take care, Mike. Bye-bye. And thank you to all of our listeners and supporters. We'll, we'll be back next week. God willing, see you then.